and he had to pass through Samaria. That's enough. You may be seated. He had to pass through Samaria. In your own time of personal reflection, in which there's no one there but just you and God, you're all alone, you're in a space when you are just simply revisiting some of life's journey, you come upon those episodes, those incidents, those experiences where when you began, in fact, your mind even runs back to the initial moments of those various experiences. And like many of us, I'm certain you can agree with me, I have done it and perhaps you have as well. We've always raised the question early in those experiences and after somewhat they have been done, Lord, why did you do this this way? Why did you take us, why did you take me, why did you take my family through this experience? Why could you have not used an alternative experience that would have been less painful, less challenging, and even to the point of yet, we believe, being more developmental for kingdom building? When we reflect, we come to realize after a long time journey, after a moment in which when we add up the equation, it couldn't have been done any other way. That seemed to have been the way that brought us the developmental stages that we needed to grow. We can paint the picture for God in reference to what we think we need to grow and the process in which we think we need to travel, but we know and all the dust settles, only God knows the correct way in which we will need to take. He only knows the journey in which the direction we must go. And he of course knows the outcome in which that will take place. If you've never taken the chance, it's a good thing to do biographical reading on different persons' lives because it sort of helps when you talk about this Christian journey to bring some sense of understanding to why you had to go through what you've been through. When we sit in worship and listen to perhaps what we had just listened to, that, that single line in that song that they were singing, you don't know what he's done for me. Gave me the victory. You, you've got to ask yourself the question, particularly if you've never seen this before, why are all these people filled with such ecstaticism? Why are they so excited about that single line, you don't know what he's done for me and gave me the victory? There's a simple solution, and the simple solution is you have to have walked in their shoes. 
You've had to have experienced some of what they've experienced. You've had to have had moments in which there certainly wasn't any way out. At least you could comprehensively understand out of the situation. And yet somehow in the divine providential hand of God, he brought you through. And in bringing through, it develops a song on the inside of your spirit. But in reading biographical information, I, I, I love Soren Kierkegaard because Kierkegaard is one of those guys to which he had been overwhelmingly blessed with tremendous intellectualism, but he sort of inherited something from his father. He was born into a very pietistic family in Copenhagen, Denmark, and Kierkegaard's father was a very highly religious man who believed in when you break one moral law, your life almost has to be spent trying to correct that one mistake in order for you to be right before God. And Kierkegaard sort of inherited that kind of spirit and he ended up in his own life being filled with melancholy to the point where everything that he did, he always downplayed it. And he tried to get even those who were around him, the audience to which he was often engaged because of his brilliancy, he would often try to get them to look at him as if he was consistently in a downtrodden mode. And not until Kierkegaard met God for himself, he come to realize that God already knew, and now for us, God already knows that you will not cross every T and you are not going to dot every I. He's already well aware that on tomorrow at this time, what exactly you're going to be doing. He already knows in about 10 minutes where your mind will be. He already knows in the next five minutes what's going to happen in your heart. And Kierkegaard come to understand that we must embrace, he adds this, there's an old Irish proverb that Kierkegaard sort of introduces me to in my reading and I found it to be so tremendously advantageous when we come to understand the importance of it but it helps us understand how important it is that you've got to get connected with God for yourself and then realize that God will take you through some strange journeys to get you where he want you to be In the old Irish proverb goes something like this you've got to do your own growing no matter how tall your grandfather is. Tell you didn't catch that. L listen to that real good. You've got to do your own growing, no matter how tall your grandfather is. And I think Kierkegaard realized that no matter how tall his father was in terms of his own pietistic thinking, he had to realize my father can't live for me. And I could not certainly live for my father. And in order for me to really understand who God is in reality, I have got to come to know him personally for my faith. And that means that I have to take a leap 
of faith into the unknown sometimes, not knowing where God is going to land me, but understanding if God is holding my hand, and I believe he is, if God is holding me in his hand, and I believe he is, that wherever God lands me, that is the place to which God desires to have me, and there's something productive that's going to come out of that situation, no matter how the moments turned in the midst of the travel. I wrestled with that, Dr. George, as I started reading once again in the book of Daniel, and I came upon the life of Daniel, and I tried to ask myself the question, why did God take Daniel through what he took him through and then he began with so much promise. Remember, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel made the decision that he would not eat the king's meat because he believed that his diet with God was far more profitable than to adhere to the diet of the king. And so he ends up being victorious. And then in Daniel chapter 2, he interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 4, he interprets the dream for Belshazzar. In chapter 5, he interprets the writing on the wall. But then we come to chapter 6. All of this victorious promise that God gives Daniel, we come to chapter 6. And I kept saying Lord now Daniel has been a faithful servant Daniel's been a committed servant Daniel has stood up in the midst of all of those who were opposed to you and yet Daniel never waved in his conviction or his faith in God and then we come to chapter 6 and I realize why God took Daniel to where he took him to he got himself a 30 day sentence in the lion's den and I kept saying, God, out of all of the obedience that this man gave, why would you sentence him to a lion's den? And I found it out. If you read Daniel chapter 6, you'll come upon some interesting words that began in verse 3. And let me just take you through it, then we're going to transition to how Jesus plays in this whole equation, talking about the face of familiarity because I'm certain once I finish this story of Daniel you're gonna find yourself shouting on the fact that that's me in the text watch this in Daniel chapter 6 verse 3 it says in the first two verses that the king had decided that he was going to anoint appoint some governors over various providences regions of the land and Daniel happens to be one of them watch this now follow me closely Daniel had already won favor in the eyes of the king just because of who he was. God had used him in a tremendous fashion to show that when you stand for God, God will stand for you. Amen. Then we come to this point in Daniel's life, though, that God throws a monkey wrench in the journey, throws a roadblock, throws an obstacle. And watch what happens. It says in the first two verses that Daniel, of course, was going to be appointed. But then it says, then this, this same Daniel, this same Daniel, and the transitional phrase, this, this word, should I say, this then, Daniel, this transitional phrase says to me that after learning of the appointment that he's going to receive, Daniel began to measure where he's going in life and how God was blessing and recognized now it was time for him to step his game up even further for the kingdom of God. And watch this, whenever you decide to make a decision that no matter what happens, 
that I'm going to travel this thing with God in my hand and I'm going to hold God's hand. I'm going to make sure that no matter how this thing turns, that God and I are going to be victorious in this thing because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Bear in mind, when you make that decision, you've just opened up the floodgate for satanic attack. Listen, listen to what happens in the context of Job. When Job is looking for someone to engage and trip up and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, oh, I, 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 I know Job, but the problem is you've got a hedge around him. And I guarantee you, if you took away that protection that you have around him, or more importantly, if you stop giving him favor, stop blessing him, stop multiplying him, stop growing him, and bring him down to mere nothing, I guarantee you, he will curse you to your face and turn away and come with me. And God makes this unusual but yet divine proclamation. You can take all that stuff. In fact, I'll, I will take away the stuff around him. Uh, but I'm going to protect his soul. You just, you just can't have who he is internally. Because God is saying, I know that all the stuff outside, it's not really that big of a deal to Job. It's, it's what's on the inside, I'm convinced, is the reason why he's holding on to my unchanging hand. And so you know the story, he, he takes it away and of course Job begins to demise and Job is struggling to hold on and Job's wife comes and says you should just curse God and die. It doesn't make no sense that God is treating you like this and Job says you sound like an extremely foolish woman. There's no way that I'm going to compromise my integrity in God, nor am I going to give up how God has been so good to me internally. Blessed be the name of the Lord because the Lord gives and the Lord can take away. So Job says in essence, the materialistic stuff, uh, I came here in this world. That's what he says, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return. I, I didn't come here with anything and, and I got to leave up out of here with nothing. That's, that's, that's all good. In the meantime, I'm going to trust God's grace to be sufficiently to take care of me. So I said, Lord, why? Why Daniel? And look what the text says. So Daniel had made up his mind along with Job. And look what the text says. It says, then Daniel began to distinguish himself among the commissioners. You, you catch that. He began to distinguish himself. And can you imagine the suggestion of arrogancy by those who were looking at Daniel? He thinks he's better than anybody else in the group. No, baby, I don't think I'm better. I just know I'm higher. And I'm higher because I can't help it. God gave me the favor and lifted me up. And I didn't do a whole lot to influence the king to let him know that I should be in this spot. Can I help it? Because God's been so good that I ain't afraid to testify and to let somebody know how grateful I am that God has given me his favor. And I'm not giving up because God has given it to me. And I'm going to let the world know a proclamation to which I'm not ashamed to declare. It says he began to distinguish himself among all of those who were likewise in the cabinet. He took a different approach and says, because I'm representing God, I've got to live and I've got to demonstrate who it is that's been good to me. Look what it says. He has began to distinguish himself among the commissioners and the sand traps, watch this, because he possesses 
an extraordinary spirit. In other words, he's saying that people are trying to figure out, you don't have any college degree. You don't have a graduate degree. You sure don't have a postgraduate degree. You ain't got no connections. How you get here? Well, you know, when you know the king of kings. See, I, I'm just appointed by the king, but the king of kings controls the king. And when you know him and he's your child and you got favor with him, I, I can't help it, but I just got an extraordinary something living on the inside of me. But it's not something, it's someone. And this Bible says that he had an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him, watch this, not just over a few spaces, but does not your Bible say over the entire Kingdom, either y'all see it or y'all haven't turned there yet. You probably need to turn there to help you out a little bit better. Over the entire kingdom. Don't hate. Don't hate the player, hate the game. I can't help it. But God is the one who orchestrates the game. And I'm just a player. It says, then the commissioners and the sand traps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. Here's what they say. Now, we know who Daniel is. Let's see if there's any unethical practices in his motions as he serves in the governmental cabinet. Couldn't find nothing. Daniel's above water. No, no appointments to appear before Congress. Nothing. Nothing. No special committee that he must appear before to give an account. Nothing. When they look at Daniel's record, it's clean. In fact, it's so clean you can hear clean squeaking without being invited. It's just squeaking all by itself. And read the story. It says that when they looked there, they couldn't find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption in as much as he was faithful and no negligence in as much as corruption was to be found in him the boy had ethics so what happens when you stand for something people attack what they know means the most to you and what did they do they attacked Daniel's religion read the story look what verse 5 says then these men said we shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him in regard to the law of his God. There's a reason why they see you on your job praying, reading your Bible. There's a reason why they see you offering prayer, blessing over your food. There's a reason why they see you praying. Whenever the crisis arises in the office and everybody starts freaking out and starting to kiss behinds and see if they can get themselves an advantage, and what do you do? You go to your cube and sit there and just look in your mind and just say, Lord, you know all about what's going on and all this stuff is in your hands and you the one that gave me this job anyway. I ain't worrying about a single thing. I'm going to give this into your hand. I ain't kissing nobody's behind. I ain't doing nothing that will make me look lower than who you made me to be. 
I'm simply looking and lifting my eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help and my help comes from the Lord and I'm going to wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he's going to bless my heart and I'm going to wait I say on the Lord and when all the dust settles I'm still going to be standing whether I get a pink slip or no slip at all God still is going to be God in the kingdom and that's what Daniel did but why God why take him down this track why lead him through this angle as obedient and committed as he has been they attack his religion and long story short they decide to concoct a plan this is the reason why you got to be careful who you share any information with and be careful who you attach yourself to at work you know grandmama and them had a good old principle and on the surface it doesn't seem that effective but it, it's, it's really good it may not serve as a Christian connotation but actually it really does it says you got to feed people with a what long handled spoon in other words uh, I, I know the world's idea is keep your enemies closer to you than your friends uh, the devil is a lie. I, I don't want you that close. No, uh-uh. Because you know what? If I got to keep you that close to figure out what you're doing, then that means I'm not trusting the God who has all the knowledge who already knows what you're doing anyway. I, I don't need you that close. In fact, when you get that close, you become contagious. And I don't want anything to change my demeanor, so I sort of feed you with a long-handle spoon. Yeah, yes, me. Okay, I want to love you. Here, here's a little bit of love here, and I want to give you some mercy. Here's a little bit here, and I want to give you some grace. There's a little bit here, I, but I don't. Uh, uh-uh. uh. Two feet. Two feet. Just two feet. I need time to react in case you lose your mind. Because if you're too close, that don't give me enough time to react, and I might have to, you know, go back old school, back to the hood, and bring out some stuff. You know. Uh, sometimes you can't always holler in the name of Jesus. Sometimes you got to go back to what you knew before Jesus and help some folk realize that. Watch it now. But this, this space don't violate this. I shouldn't tell y'all that. Y'all think the pastor bad guy. Just so. Long story short, they got together and said, "Let's go to the king and make a rule. You can't pray to nobody else. Can't worship nobody else." You, you, you can't call on nobody else's name for protection in terms of divinity, for worship in terms of divinity, other than the king himself. And the king, being who the king was, didn't always double check what was presented to him because he had trust in those who brought before him the information. They were his cabinet members. He just signed off. But, Dave, but Daniel never changed. Daniel found out the rule and Daniel said that ain't phrasing me he goes right back to his room opens up his window east toward Jerusalem and starts back praying three times a day starts looking unto the Lord start thanking God and wouldn't you know it behold that just simply mean them folk who were always after him in the first place were just watching to see just exactly what they were going to see and they got it got a whole eye full they walked by and saw Daniel and the Bible says that they ran back and said, Oh, king, know what you said. Daniel is not playing by the rules game. 
And as a result, he needs to spend some time in the lion's den. The king wanted so desperately not to have to respond to Daniel in this manner because he liked Daniel, but the king made a rule. See, if you look at the story, it's reflective to what we uh, read last week in John uh, Mark chapter 6. Remember, when Herod in his party and his niece was dancing and he asked her, whatever you want, you can have it up to half of the kingdom. And his niece said, give me the head of John the Baptist. And the Bible says he was aching in heart. He didn't want to do that but he couldn't change his rule and he had to follow through. Daniel is sentenced by the king to 30 days in the lion's den. He puts him in the lion's den, but the Bible says that the king walks away and tells Daniel, Daniel, the God that you've been praying to, listen, don't overlook the, the king in the story. Don't, don't overlook him uh, because Darius is an interesting character. He, you think that he's a pagan god, but actually when he looks, I think he's got some connection to Daniel in terms of being persuaded by Daniel. And the Bible says when he walks away, he says, Daniel, the God that you serve will protect you while, while you're in this den. He walks away. He comes back 30 days later. I don't even think it was 30 days later. And he hollers, oh, Daniel, are you in there? I'm still asking, Lord, why, why do you have to go through this? Are you in there? Oh, king, it's good to hear from you. I didn't actually think you'd be back this soon. Oh, yeah, I'm here. In fact, when you read the story, uh, Daniel, in his amazing response, uh, says to the king, I'm not only here, uh, but I'm chilling. I'm enjoying my time along with God. Oh, and by the way, uh, the lions that you had in here, I just want to tell you, it's, it's a really short thing, but it's important. God showed up last night and shut the mouths of the lions and converted them to being my best friends. <laughs> we are actually sitting here now <laughs> just having a private prayer meeting, just me and the lions all by us. Watch this. And I kept saying, Lord, why? Why take them through that? Ah, oh, because sometimes you have to realize I take you through where I take you through so you can see how I will indeed make your enemies your footstool. See, the enemy, the, the lion should have consumed. But instead, the lion is there with Daniel celebrating. Now, how's a lion going to celebrate? He didn't attack Daniel, but instead, he became Daniel's companion in a very dark moment in which God proved to Daniel that whenever you go through whatever I take you through, whatever lane I take you down, I will always supply all that you need in terms of friendship, in terms of companionship, in terms of my companion to be by your side. All you have to do is just walk through it and trust me when you can't trace me and hold my hand even when you feel like your hand is slipping 
hold on, says grandmama, to God's unchanging hand. And then that opened my eyes to understand verse 4 of John chapter 4. He had to go through Samaria. Now, you, if you don't know this, uh, I'll tell you more about it next week, but, but Jews just did not have a one-on-one -on -one holy communion time with Samaritans. Um, they got a history there that they don't trust each other. And check this out. All their history is really built around a difference in reference to where we should worship. And then there's another element. How much of the word of God is true? See, the Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Pentateuch, what we call the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. They did not include the prophets nor the writings in terms of the uh, wisdom literature. They, they, they weren't interested in that. They were just hung on the first five books of Moses. And the Jews says, no, you need the whole shaboom in order to be right with God. Now you think about that. We still got that same drama. We got that same difference. Protestants says you can't be saved unless you're saved by the Bible. Catholic says you can't be saved unless you are a member of the church. Pentecostals say you can't be saved unless you have been baptized in the spirit and you speak in tongues. Others say that you can't be saved unless you are willing to go out and evangelize and bring others in. And Jehovah's Witness said you can't be saved unless you are part of the 12,000. Something wrong with that picture. Do you not see that we got the issues? Jesus, I'm convinced, kind of wondered himself, is this where I really have to go through God? The humanity of Jesus. Is this where I really got, got to go through Samaria? We go, now watch this. Jews would not have went directly through Samaria because that's a straight shot from Judea to Galilee. But they would have went all the way around the Kidron Valley, up into uh, the mountains, and came back down in front uh, of the Sea of Galilee and then came on in to Galilee. They would have done all they could to avoid direct contact. Watch this. God makes us go through Samaria to first of all confront us. See, God knows, he knows that you don't really want to go to work to sit beside the same person you've been sitting beside because they've already gotten on your mind long enough where you'd like for them to get out of your presence, but he won't move them. And you know how you put in for a transfer? You want that job up there in the other department and in the other department you know everybody and you know all how good it is up there and how things work and that person beside you in the cubicle ain't up there but you'll be up there beside somebody you really want to be beside and every time you look for the promotion, the door is shut and God leaves you right beside that same person. And you'd be like, Lord, uh... You know, come on now. I fasted last week. I prayed last week. I read my Bible last week, stuck to my devotion every single day. I mean, I even gave a guy five dollars standing there at the traffic light. You mean tell me you can't hook a brother up for just a little prayer that I'm offering here? 
And God says, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave you right there. See, it, it's important that you stay there uh, because the person beside you in the cubicle, see, you didn't know this because they have on a facade, uh, but they're contemplating suicide. And see, I told you, uh, you being in me makes you a light in the world. And because every day when that person comes to work, uh, they are depressed because at home they are struggling with domestic violence. Or at home they're struggling with poverty. They're having a difficult time making ends meet. In fact, they don't even have a home. They're sleeping out of their car. And when they come to work and they see you in the next cubicle, it gives them some sense of hope in life. It gives them some sense of they can make it through. And I know they get on your nerves, but I have them to get on your nerves so you'll stay on your knees and you'll keep on seeking my face and you'll look to the hills from whence come your help. That's why I won't give you the promotion. Because God wants to confront us. Not only confront us, but God wants to take the time in that process to change us. See, I already see you. I already know that you come to the cubicle 10 minutes late because you know for the first 10 minutes they're not going to be there. They're going to be at the coffee shop or at the coffee machine trying to get breakfast. And then you know what time they generally show up, so you find a reason to have to go back to your car to pick up something that you know you haven't left there, but you want to try to find a way to miss them. And that's why I let them meet you right there in the hallway, right there when the door opens up. There they are standing right there. Because I want you to understand, I brought them in your path so that they can help change change you change me maybe you got this wrong God. I don't need changing I'm cool the way I am I mean you know I am working on my holiness and I think I've came a long ways and God says let's not even go there let's not talk about your anger and your attitude let's not talk about your snootiness and your bouginess let's not talk about none of that stuff See, God takes us down these strange paths, these Samarias, to change us. Because you know our prayer is, Lord, make me what you want me to be. I'm going to tell you something. Don't you pray that prayer. Don't you pray that if that's not what you really want to experience. I'm, I'm here to tell you about personal prayer. Don't pray that. Find some other words. But don't pray, Lord, make me and use me to be what you want me to be because that means that you're giving God an open invitation to send you down to Samaria. And then when you say, Lord, I want to be there on top of the pinnacle, then God said, if you want to be there, you have to go through Samaria. Five years later, you still putting in for that promotion. And God is saying, you, you're going to get there, but you have to go through Samaria. I, I got to take you through it. Because if I don't, if I catapult you up there, you won't appreciate it. 
You'll get there and then you'll look back down on those who are where you were and you'll take a posture that suggests that you're better than they are. And, and God said, we can't have that because I've got to take you through Samaria so I can humble you. So God says, I take you through it so I can confront you. But secondly, so I can change you because there's some folk around you who are eyeballing what you do. But then there's a third reason, he says, and that is not only so I can change you, but so I can conform you. Hmm. Now, conform is an interesting word, excuse me, interesting word because there's a high suggestion that that means that God's going to take away something that I have that I don't want to take away. Yeah, I, I know you. I figured you think about that for a moment. He's going to strip away something from me, watch this, that I haven't given permission to do. He's going to actually remove some stuff out of my life that I want to hold on to. Do you not know some of the things, in fact, some of the greatest thing that God is trying to pull out of our hands, we keep trying to hold it into our hands. God is saying that I'm going to send Jesus through Samaria because in the conformity process, there's someone else who will be conformed by recognizing who you are. Now, that's, that's the future sermon. In fact, I gave Jessica the wrong title for this Sunday morning. I gave her something totally different. I gave her the sermon title for next Sunday because in the face of Jesus, Jesus is going to meet this woman and he's going to show his face of new beginnings because God sends him through Samaria that he might help this woman recognize you can start all over again no matter how far you have But in the meantime, I'm conforming you. Now, Daniel came out a different man than he was when he went into the lion's den. Watch this. Daniel ain't the only one who's been changed from a lion's den. If I could open up the book of every one of your lives, I bet you I could find episodes where God puts you in his own kind of lion's den. And when you came out of it, you were not the same man or woman that you were when you went in it. In fact, now, the reason why you are the way you are in terms of glorifying God is because when you heard that song, you don't know what he done for me, Woo, that set me off because I remembered my lion's den and I remembered the lions in that den and I remembered how God was my companion and gave me strength, hope, perseverance, power to survive. And as a result of that, I now know what it means when I say, I truly love the Lord. He had to go through. Here's my final point. He wants to conform you because in verse 6 of chapter 4 of John's gospel, listen to what the text says. When Jesus comes into Samaria, he comes to a well, Jacob's 
well. Go all the way back to Genesis 33 or 38, I think it was maybe 38, I think it is, where uh, Jacob purchases this parcel of land uh, from the Shechem. And he purchases that so that he may have burial grounds for himself. And eventually he gives a portion to Joseph. And when Joseph dies, the Hebrews bury Joseph's bones as well at near Shechem or near Jacob's well. But Jacob dug the well so that his children would have the provision of water in Canaan. Now, now watch this. The well provided physical water for Jacob's children. Now that Jesus, look at verse 6, as Jesus is at Jacob's well, he sits there about 6 p.m., or it's not 6 p.m., at the sixth hour because it depends on what calendar or what time frame they're working with. If it's Hebrew, it's 12 o'clock in the daytime. If it's Roman, it's 6 o'clock in the evening, but we very well know it's not Roman, so it's got to be Hebrew. It's 12 o'clock in the daytime. He sits down, but look why he sits down. Because he's wearied from his journey. That's, that's why I like Jesus. See, because Jesus understands what it means to deal with folk through the course of the week and get war out. See, the word weary means that he's depleted. He's exhausted. They have drained, and it's the ministry. Remember, I told you he had to go back and help the disciples because of the death of John the Baptist, and emotionally, they were a wreck. He had to help them restore and get themselves back together. And don't you know when you go out to help other people sometimes, they can drain all the life out of you trying to help them? You come home and, man, you only been with them an hour. You be like, man, this is like a whole day's work. It's like 10 hours with overtime. Because when you start dealing with people emotional issues, it can drain the life. I have nothing but admiration and honor for people who work in the hospital because to deal with people in their sickest and in their probably most difficult state of existence is a job. You got to have compassion. You got to have a willingness to serve people. You got to love people. And I can only imagine how many times they get cursed out. Patients who don't want to cooperate. Like I'm thinking of a member who's in the hospital who don't want to cooperate with the physician. Uh, persons who just, just do stuff and you be saying to yourself, you need to do this if you expect to get well. And sometimes patients think they are the physician and they know how to make themselves well. And it's exhausting, let alone being on your feet. And here's Jesus, says the Bible, exhausted, weary from his journey. And I want to close by saying, you know the reason why folk come to worship on Sunday? Want to know why we pile in this place, in this space? Because we've been wearied from the journey. Sometimes the weariness comes from spiritual warfare. 
let me walk down somebody's street who's trying to be real. In fact, let me go to this side first. When you're just trying to live right and you recognize that temptation that you try, you try to get away from is still right there. I mean, right around the corner. You see it sticking its heads out and you're trying your best to walk around it, but it's just so inviting and you end up yielding to it and you quickly run back out to try to get back on track. Am I speaking to anybody on your Okay, that's what I figured. Yeah, yeah. This is the holier-than-thou side. We won't get to them yet. We'll stay on this side right here. Uh, and you're trying to get it right. And when you get to church on Sunday, you not only cry out because, God, I need your forgiveness, but, Lord, thank you for your restoration. Because I recognize I haven't been as good as I know I could have been, but I just thank you for loving me anyway when I know that I wasn't all that I should have been. You look beyond my fault. And that's why whenever we start to have praise and worship, I try to sit down, but I just can't keep it to myself because no matter how bad I've been, you still good to me. Am I on somebody's street down there on this side of the sanctuary? Okay, let me get in the house on this side. Because y'all come to church weary from the week's journey. Because you realize, as good as you tried not to cuss somebody out, thank you. It happened anyway. You, when you got off work that evening, you went back to the car and said, Lord, I told my one, I said I wasn't going to do it. But Lord, they pushed me. They just kept pushing me and kept bothering me. And the only way I could get them off of me was to give them a few kind words that would just back them up and it backed them up too Lord they finally left me alone and I just want to say I'm sorry God and you showed up at worship because you said you didn't just do it one time two times three times four times you did it a whole lot of times but Lord I thank you for giving me a praise in my tongue realizing that you don't want me to talk like that but you want me to bring blessings out of my life because you're trying to conform me I'm weary. And then here's my final point. Some of us are here. We come to church on Sunday because we just need strength. Living in an environment when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with us politically, what's wrong with us economically, what's wrong with us socially, what's wrong with us even with all of our racial tension. Lord, why do we keep going through the same thing we've been going through for the last 150 years? When are we going to get better? And when we come to church, it's at least an inspiration to let us know weeping might endure for the night. But hang in there, joy is coming in the morning. But we're also here because we remember we have ancestors who had that same prayer and they never saw the joy in the morning. They labored and died in laboring that we might experience the joy that they wanted to see. Jesus had to go through Samaria and just hit rewind in your mind or Right where you are right now, you've been praying, Lord, why? Just think about it for a moment. I had to be where I am if I expect to get where I want to go. Because God is going to do that to grow me in the process. It's a peculiar place. 
It's a purposeful place, but it's a private place where God takes you and you alone to introduce you to his sustaining grace. If you've been anything like me, you kind of wonder sometimes, Lord, how long? We've been at this a long time. And I, I just want to know when we're going to bring this thing to a conclusion. Always remember, no matter what Samaria God takes you to, it's always God's providing place. See, that well was provision for Jacob's children. Now, next week, we're going to see how God uses that well to be provision for a single woman who will transform her whole community because she met a familiar face at the well. And we in worship because there's one familiar face that we came to see. In the words of John the Baptist, we would see Jesus. That's it. You know what my prayer is? Every Sunday when I have to stand at this desk, Lord, it's old prayer, old preacher's prayer, but it works. Hide me behind the cross and let Jesus come forth. You know what that really means? Lord, let me just preach the gospel and elevate your son so that people will ascend to that bleeding side where they might find hope and strength to endure a wearisome week that they might find strength from the journey. Father, I pray today that through the Holy Spirit, somebody in this house leaves a different man or woman, 